Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God, living well. I am your host, Dr. Shantae, and we are in the home stretch of season four, which admittedly has been my shabbiest season to date. Um, Not in terms of content or quality, just in terms of consistency. I spoke to you all a few weeks back about why this season has been such a struggle to just get in the can. Um... But I committed to 18 episodes. This is episode 15 of 18. So we are chugging along. We are going to be done in July. I am committed to that. Like we have this episode, we have the next one, and then we have one final series to wrap up and we will be right on schedule. So for those of you who have hung in with me this season, I appreciate you more than words can say. For those of you who are new to Whole and Complete, If you go back, for the record, I have receipts that I am usually a top tier, consistent, drop once a week type podcaster when the show is in season. But good Lord, this season four has just thrown me for all kinds of loops. I have spoken to a potential producer. Believe it or not, I connected with Andrew. So if you guys listen to the Confidence series, I was telling you guys, I was like, I think I need a producer for this show. And he's in the UK and I was actually in the UK. So we had an opportunity to discuss it. And so once I get through this season, um, I will definitely be circling back to him to make sure that season five (laughs) runs a lot more smoothly than season four. So thank you for your patience. So We are in a new series. So we finished up the confidence series and this series is about disrupting dysfunction, disrupting patterns of dysfunction. And as we usually do, we have a scripture reference and then we will roll into how we are going to lay out this series. So today's scripture comes out of the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 27. I know numbers, right? Like you like, is there really a book? It is. That Old Testament is just full of stuff. Um, but Numbers 27, uh, these are the daughters of Zelophehad. Okay, I hope I said that right. Zelophehad. The daughters of Zelophehad stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders and the whole assembly at the entrance of the tent of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case, uh, their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. So we are talking about disrupting dysfunction over these next couple of episodes. And we are going to talk about recognizing dysfunction, cycles of dysfunction, and the risk of being disruptive. And so at the I mean, at the beginning of every series, we always define our terms. So I want to define two for you today. One is dysfunction. Dysfunction is an impairment, a disturbance, or a deficiency in behavior or operation. So it is... Something is wrong with the way that things are operating. Something is wrong with the way things are rolling out in real life. And then disruption. Disruption means to interrupt or to drastically alter or destroy the structure of. So dysfunction is an impairment, a disturbance, a deficiency. There's a fly in the ointment. Something is amiss. Okay, it's not working properly or it's not working as it should. And then disruption is to interrupt, to drastically alter or destroy the structure of. So let's talk about recognizing dysfunction. In order to disrupt dysfunction, you have to know it when you see it. 
And in order to know it, when you see it, you have to have a baseline of what normal or healthy functioning is. And one of the reasons why dysfunction goes unchecked is because we don't have clear consensus. We are not all in agreement about what normal and healthy is and what normal and healthy looks like, especially depending on what our experiences and our upbringing have been. And another reason why we struggle to recognize dysfunction is because it has become normalized. Okay. Dysfunction has become normalized. It has become routine and it has become regular. And three of the major ways where it has become normalized, routine, and regular is in our conscience, okay, in our culture, and in our communication. So let's start with our conscience. Our conscience, okay, refers to an understanding of what we consider to be right and wrong, okay? So from a very young age, we begin to have a sense of what feels safe and healthy and what feels hurtful and dangerous. And some people refer to this as our intuition um, an inner knowing that we have that guides us and warns us and helps us navigate our lives. But when there is dysfunction in our conscience, we are struggling to discern which way we ought to go. And we have these questions and we have these doubts. Are we being guided by fear, triggers and traumas? Or is it really our inner compass telling us which way to go? And some of the ways that our conscience falls into dysfunction is through influence. So sometimes there are loud voices, okay? There are louder voices in the room and louder voices in the world that are pushing narratives and pushing agendas that while they might be popular, it doesn't mean that they are correct, okay? There is such a thing as being loud and wrong, okay? And when someone else's voice is drowning out your own voice, in those moments, you need to step away and allow your mind to reset away from distractions. And so because all of us tend to have a, uh, not all of us, many of us have a tendency to be highly invested in our phones and consume a lot of content through these handheld devices. There are a lot of loud voices on TikTok. There's a lot of loud voices on Instagram. There's a lot of loud voices on Facebook. And if we are routinely consuming this diet of loud voices and popular opinions, sometimes it can be very difficult to discern what is your voice and what is their voice? Like, where does your voice begin and where does somebody else's end? Where does it stop and start? The lines become blurry if you are taking in so much information that you aren't able to filter it and say, this is something that feels right and normal and natural and correct and in alignment with who I am versus something that's like, oh, is this what I should be doing? Is this the direction I should be going? Is this what's happening now? So in those moments, you definitely need to be able to reset and step away. Another way that our conscience falls into dysfunction is through the residual effects of trauma. And this is so real and so commonplace. So when you are dealing with the residual effects of trauma, trauma can cause our amygdala and the amygdala is the part of the brain that detects threats and facilitates our fear response. So when you are walking through the woods and you hear a twig go snap, your amygdala is like, hey, hey, did you hear that? Something might be up. Something might be amiss. You might not be in these woods by yourself. That's that's what the amygdala does. OK, and not only does it detect threats, it facilitates our fear response. And so. Some of us, if we have dealt with trauma, even if the trauma was in childhood, some of us have what is called a dysregulated nervous system. And a dysregulated nervous system means that you are in a perpetual state of fight or flight. You're always listening for the twig snapping in the woods. You are always scanning the perimeter for threats. Uh, when people talk to you or try to befriend you, you don't trust it. Why is she asking me all these questions? Who is this? You know, like, why, why are they all up in my business? So 
that's your amygdala at work saying, you know, you may not be able to trust this person. This may not be a healthy situation. And when our nervous system is dysregulated, um, that means that we're always on high alert. And this can make it hard to trust other people and our own decisions. So when your conscience is falling into dysfunction, you have to make a concerted effort to calm, regulate and reset your nervous system. And I'll get more into this in part two of the series, but I cannot underscore how important it is to be able to recognize, hear and follow your intuition, your inner knowing, your own conscience, because without it, you are continually and perpetually reliant on other voices and external voices for validation for the direction of your life. And that is a whole lot of trust and, and a whole lot of stakes, okay, to be placing in somebody else's hands. So another way that dysfunctional patterns become normalized is through the culture, okay, is through culture. Now, for the record, let me say, I am not one of these people who blames everything on hip hop. <laughs> I actually love hip hop, um, especially from the 90s. You know, that that era of music was just unprecedented. However, even if you look at 90s hip hop, there was absolutely a messaging problem in the music. OK, so not only were you calling women all out of their name, talking about hoes and tricks and B words and all of that. But there was also a lot of rappers in hip hop telling men to never give their heart to a woman, to love them and leave them. And these same men had were very much in love, very much committed, very much had wives, very much had children and families that they were cultivating. They were pushing one narrative and living a completely different narrative. And fast forward. Now we have city girls, you know, that are pushing this trope about this transactional romance, meaning that as long as the money is being spent and the long as the money is flowing and is being given that that money can then be exchanged for sex and mistreatment. Right. And while it's easy to say, I mean, that's just art. Okay. That's not real life. You can see it. Okay. You can see it translating into real life. You can see it translating into the dynamics of, of relationships of romantic relationships where they're becoming increasingly transactional. And what are you bringing to the table? And, um, you see it translating into real life with plastic sur surgery culture. People are literally, literally dying to get BBLs, Brazilian butt lifts, okay? Body hatred has become commodified in culture to the point that women are dying, literally dying just to alter their appearance. And for the record, this is not a judgment on plastic surgery or, or body modifications. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. However, the why matters, okay? It's not always what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. And if what is driving you to do that is a belief that you are less than, that you are less valuable, that you are not acceptable or valuable within your culture as you are, that is a problem. I will die on the hill for that. That is a problem. And when we sit silently, okay, in the culture, while these messages are, are permeating the airwaves and social media, it becomes codified and normalized, okay? Case in point, when Kanye West was making these problematic statements about slavery was a choice and rubbing elbows with people like Candace Owens, black culture largely disregarded it. They wrote him off. They was like, man, he crazy, whatever, man, I, I don't mess with him no more or whatever, you know? So people either wrote him off or they still wrote for him, still bought his stuff, still listened to the music, like the whole nine yards, right? Ultimately, they did not, there was no accountability, okay? It was just like, he was dismissed, he was disregarded, it was like, whatever, right? But notice what happened when Kanye stepped over into anti-Semitism, hmm? 
when he stepped over into anti-Semitism, there was an immediate response from Jewish culture and the backlash was swift. There was a collective call to action, okay? And there was swift subsequent action. So when dysfunction and toxicity is happening in the culture and there is no disruption, which is what we're talking about in this series, there's no call to action, there's no accountability, not only does it become normalized, the dysfunction becomes normalized, but it also teaches other people how to treat us and what we deem acceptable by what we accept through within our culture and around our culture and and how other people are treating us in the culture. And last but not least, one of the ways that dysfunction becomes uh, normalized and routine and regular is through communication. You know, I, I will say <laughs> that one of the things that I love about black culture, okay, one of the things I love about being a black person and, and blackness is not a monolith, okay? So this doesn't work in every pocket of blackness, okay? But in general, in black culture, when you hear a black person say something like, who you talking to? That's not really a question, okay? Who you talking to? It, that is an opportunity for the person who misspoke to correct themselves, okay? Before some drama ensues. Who you talking to is, is there something you want to amend in your statement? Is there something you want to reevaluate? Is there something you wish to correct? Is there a tone that you would like to adjust? Is there some way that you would like to modify the actions that you just took or the words that you just said before this escalates to a whole nother level? Okay. But having said that, I've been saying for years that the words that we speak, the words that we use to name ourselves and one another, the tone that we use, all of that words have power. And the way that we speak life or death into our lives absolutely matters. And so when we're talking about dysfunctional communication, we are talking about a few things. Dysfunctional communication occurs when there's like a breakdown in the way that information is shared, received and understood between people. Okay. Dysfunctional communication occurs when there is a breakdown in the way that information is shared, received and understood between people. It also occurs when words are used to weaponize. Okay. One of the most common forms of weaponized words are what I call little comments. You ever know people like that? People that are always making little comments, little comments are these microaggressions, these passive aggressive ways of throwing shade or expressing disdain. Little comments like, oh, is that what you're wearing? Mm. Dang, you always on your phone or Y'all are just spend y'all money on anything these days. You know, just these little comments, you know, that if you call people on the carpet, they can easily say, oh, I didn't mean nothing to buy it. I was just making a statement. I was just, you know, that was ain't no judgment, but it is judgment. Okay. Um, dysfunctional communication happens through weaponized words, little comments, and it also becomes dysfunctional when we stop communicating. When we stop asking for the things that we need, when we stop speaking up for ourselves, when we stop advocating for ourselves and we start to accept less than we deserve, that's when dysfunction becomes normalized routine and regular in our communication, which brings us to cycles of dysfunction and our guiding scripture, which is the daughters of Zalofahad. So this was all about a dysfunction in the culture. And these women were really pioneers in terms of the change that they brought about in terms of how wealth is passed down from generation to generation. Case in point, back in the days when there was to be, so the, the infamous promised land, right? 
That promised land was supposed to be a portion according to the number of names of members in the second generation, the second generation after Moses um, that were counted in the census, but only men were counted in the census. And so Zelophehad's daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah, they come forward and they are appealing this regulation to Mo Moses stating their case saying, hey, just because my father did not have any sons doesn't mean that we should just completely lose out in terms of land. And this was unprecedented. And so Moses took it to the Lord. The Lord said they're absolutely right. And then they were given um, their father's land and, and kept it in the family by marrying within the tribe and all of that. But I bring this up because this is such a timely conversation, because if we look at today, and I'm going to be very frank with you. You're going to be hearing this a lot more in season five, but I, the Bible encourages us to, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning it's something that we should continually be interrogating. It's something we should be continually questioning and challenging and making sure that what we are doing, what we are saying, how we are feeling and how we are acting is in alignment with the love of God, his will for our lives and all of that, right? But here's the thing. Whenever there is a dysfunction that discriminates, right? So this was a discriminatory policy. It excluded women. It discriminated against women. And so it was brought to leadership and then it was subsequently brought to God. And what did God say? God said it is not okay to discriminate against these women. Fast forward to today, we are seeing a lot of discrimination in culture. And I will be perfectly honest with you. I grew up in a church that pushed discrimination. Like it, it preached a doctrine of love while simultaneously pushing a doctrine of hate. Okay. Towards certain people like Jesus loves you, but these others, these sinners, these, you know, and then people start pulling out all the scriptures and saying, you know, what's a sin and, and that's a sin. And here a sin is there everywhere. A sin, sin, and it has really forced me to take a step back and really look at the Bible. First of all, most of the people that will tell you, quote unquote, what the Bible says have not studied the Greek, have not studied the Hebrew. So let's start there. OK, what we get as pedestrian believers, OK, is an interpretation of an interpretation of a translation of an interpretation. OK, and there is a lot that can be lost in translation. So let's just start there. Next, whenever... There are systems of power that are set up in institutions and do not be deceived. There are systems of power set up in, in religion. There are systems of power that are set up in churches. Uh, there is patriarchy that is set up in churches. Patriarchy meaning a system that privileges and puts male, male men at the hierarchy and disenfranchises women and children in a number of ways. Misogyny is alive and well in the church. And if you're like, oh my goodness, Dr. Shantae, where's this coming from? You haven't been listening to me. If you go all the way back to the Believing Bigger podcast, I have always taken the church to task and I will continue to take the church to task because I am going to be the one to call a spade a spade. I'm gonna call it out. That is one of my spiritual gifts. My spiritual gift is prophecy, not prophecy from that. Oh, the Lord told me that in five days you're going to die. Not like <laughs> not like I can tell you your future. But if you look at the Bible, old and 
Old Testament primarily, and you look at the prophets, the prophets were really reluctant messengers of inconvenient truths. They were reluctant messengers like, oh my goodness, why me? Why do I have to be the one to bring this forward? That brought inconvenient truths. So I'm gonna just tell you the truth and spoke truth to power. And now I have to speak these truths to people who don't wanna hear it, who are in positions of power that could potentially ruin my whole life. That was the role of the prophets. And so I have that gift, you know, I am not necessarily a gung-ho speaker to be like, hey, I'm willing to call out the messiness in the church, but I am going to call it out because it is necessary. And it's one of those things that has become normalized, routine, and regular. And people are just going along with the flow. And so if you are a believer, and I understand that you may not be, but if you are a believer, if you are calling yourself a believer, if you are calling yourself a one who follows Christ, right? I really want you to go back. I mean, really go back and read the New Testament. If you're going to say, well, what would Jesus do? Jesus was not a rule follower. Jesus was a rabble rouser. That's why they put him on the cross. It was not pimps and hoes and pushes and, and, and all these other people that, you know, we consider, you know, sinners that, that, that the church considers sinners. Those are not the people that, that, took issue with Jesus. The people who put him on the cross were the people in the church. Okay. Religious people, people, because he challenged the order of things. He challenged the hierarchy of things. He challenged discrimination. Jesus was all about social justice and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were not about that life. Okay. So go and read it for yourself. And so if you're going to do what Jesus did, it is virtually impossible to sit in this day and time and this day and age and see actively see the Bible being weaponized actively see hatred being shrouded in virtue and used as a cudgel of cruelty against other people and say it's okay and say that's all right well you know it may not feel good but i was just following the bible that what that brings to mind like because i'm a social scientist i don't know if you guys knew this but like my my lock and trade in terms of how i was was educated was as a social scientist and so when i'm looking at people and and power and systems and culture i always wonder about when people go along with things that are cruel that are crimes against humanities that treat people as less than under the guise of, well, I was just following orders. Well, I was just following orders. If you are a believer, according to the Bible, when you become a believer, you also become equipped and gifted with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a guide, an intuitive guide that helps you discern right from wrong. You cannot tell me that you can see all the wrong that is happening in our world today and the ways that it is that the Bible is being used to, to be weaponized against certain groups of people and tell me that you don't feel a little something, something. You don't feel a little niggling in your spirit. You don't feel a little tinkling. You don't feel a little whisper, a, a still small voice saying, you know, that ain't right. Right. Like that is, is what I am encouraging when I'm talking about disrupting dysfunction, you know, ultimately when you saw Jesus lose, when he had finally reached the end of his tether, where was he losing the end of his tether in the temple, turning over tables in the temple? He said, you have turned this into a den of thieves. Like, what are you all doing in here? This is supposed to be about worship and love and all the things. And look what you have turned it into. And so if you are 
one who walks by faith. I want you to look at what is my faith turning into? What are the messages that I am receiving from leadership in my faith community? And are they messages of love and acceptance or are they messages of hate? Even if it's unpopular, like I want you to just take a good hard look at it. And here's where I land. Okay. So Dr. Shante, what about the scriptures? Okay. What about the scriptures? Let me tell you the scripture where I have landed and where I will be for quite some time. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul, all of your spirit and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's where I am. Love God, love people and love myself. That is where I am. So anything that is happening in the world that flies in the face of loving God, loving people and loving myself in my mind in my heart, in my soul is out of alignment. And I know that some of you feel like you have to choose between loving God and loving others. It's th that is a that is a false binary because the Bible says that the world will know that we are Christians, that we are followers of Christ by our love for one another, not our hatred, not our cruelty, by our love for for one another and I would be remiss to have the platform that I have and the listenership that I have and not say that out loud. So when we're talking about disrupting dysfunction, this example of how this group of women was being discriminated by a system of oppression that excluded them and, and would disenfranchise them and how when it was taken to the Lord, the Lord, even though what was written in the rules, even though what was written on the tablets and the stones and the parchment and the paper said that it should only go to men, the Lord said, these women are right. They should be included. And so take that where it is in the spirit that it was given for what it is, which brings us to the risk of being disruptive. Disruptive, I'm just going to put it right out there. Disruptive can cost you your whole life. It can cost you your life when you fly in the face of oppression, when you fly in the face of systems of power, there can be consequences depending on who you are and depending on, on what banner you take up, there can be some serious consequences. Martin Luther King Jr. was disruptive and it cost him his life. Jesus was disruptive and it cost him his life. And so I am not going to sit up here and pretend that being disruptive is easy peasy lemon squeezy. Paul was disruptive and Paul wrote most of the New Testament from jail, from prison. Okay. So it's not that being disruptive doesn't cost you something. At the same time, there is a larger benefit. There is a greater purpose in it. And what this brings me in the mind of, and this is something that I draw my client's attention to all the time, is I am reminded of a picture, an artist portrait of, I mean, a painting by Norman Rockwell of Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges was one of the young black girls who was on the front lines, literally on the front lines of desegregation. Her parents decided that she was going to be one of the students that were going to cross the color line and go into this experiment, this new experiment of segregated schools. And if you look at the Norman Rockwell painting, you will see that she is being escorted by U.S. Marshals. You will see the N-word, hard R, scribbled in the background of the wall that she's walking by. You will see a tomato that has been thrown at her. 
and you see this little girl who all she's trying to do is go to school but in her doing so it is such an affront to the system of supremacy it is such an affront to the racial divide it is such anathema that they would sooner kill a child than allow integration and racial harmony that's how powerful and palpable hatred and discrimination is it starts very small prejudices biases stereotypes little microaggressions here and there and then it takes a dark deep root and if you don't examine it if you don't interrogate it you can become a participant complicit in the very hatred and the very oppression that was weaponized against you you can turn it around and weaponize it against other people just because it's not your group doesn't mean that it's okay okay and so when i think about this i say you know the bravery that it must have taken for that little girl to show up and go to school every day the hurt that she must have felt in her heart just trying to go to school every day. But in doing so, what she was disrupting was a cycle of dysfunction. And in her disrupting that cycle of dysfunction made it possible for Dr. Shante to exist as Dr. Shante does. It made it possible for me to go to certain schools. It made it possible for me to sit in the classroom and learn with certain people. It made it possible, okay, for me to have certain friends and colleagues and, and to have the job that I have right now. Her little six-year-old, eight-year-old self made it possible for millions of little black girls and boys and, and Asian girls and boys and Latino girls and boys that came behind her in these yet-to-be United States to be able to sit in classrooms together. And does racism still exist? Of course it does. Ruby didn't, didn't eradicate racism. Does prejudice and discrimination and segregation still exist? Of course it does. She did not eradicate it. But what she did was disruptive and it was disruptive in such a way that it made it possible for people for a legacy generations to come behind her and stand on the shoulders and and live in the benefits be benefactors of what she did that is the bigger picture when we're talking about disrupting systems of dysfunction yeah you might lose some friends <laughs> you might have some people unfollow you on social media. You might have some people say, you know what? I, I really can't put her on our platform. I'm really not going to be able. She's just a little too um, contentious. Be that as it may. Be that as it may. It is my job to plant the seed. It is my job in some cases to water the seed. And after I have planted and after I have watered, I leave the rest to God. God is going to give the increase or bring a harvest or or allow that to blossom and flourish in whatever way that he sees fit. But I have to speak the truth. OK, and I have done so in this episode. So that is where I will leave it for now. Um, on our next episode in the series, we are going to be talking about strategies and ways that we can disrupt dysfunction and some of the ways that uh, we can disrupt it in our communication, in our consciousness, in our culture. And if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante Says on Instagram, on Spoutable, at Dr. Shante. And I will see you next time.